How is everybody? All right. Does anyone else just feel like you're a better person when the weather is nice like this? I just feel like, yeah. I feel like I'm pretty awful during the winter, and then the sun comes out and gets hot, and I'm like, yes. Uh, and, you, and you get these awesome tan lines on your feet, and um, everything's good. So, hey, for those of you who were here yesterday, we had about 150 people show up to help clean up the neighborhoods around us, clean up around the back of the church mow lawns, mulch, all that stuff. I just want to tell you thank you. I think it's a really neat thing that our church does, and I think the neighborhood really appreciates it, and I think we're called to do those kinds of things as Christians. So if you were here yesterday and you helped out with that, I just want to tell you thank you. It was a big deal. Yeah, you can clap for that. It was good. It's, uh, I love driving through the neighborhood uh, early in the morning to come here, and, and just every lawn looks pristine. It's just, that's my obsessive compulsive issues, but I'm like, yes, this is what the world should be, right? So, uh, Anyways, we have been working through the book of 1 John. If you're new to the church, this is what we do. We go through whole books of the Bible. Sometimes they're very lengthy, complex books like Revelation, and we spend eight or nine months on it. And sometimes they're more, I don't want to say simple, but maybe more straightforward books like 1 John. They're shorter, but they're very straight to the point, very black and white, and that's kind of where we've been hanging out for the last month or so. Um, this is towards the end of your Bible, if you have one. I think it's the fifth to the last book of the, uh, of the entire Bible. And um, I've kind of fallen in love with it. I've read it before, but I've never really, you know, just kind of broken it open and studied it, you know, intensely. And, and I have, you know, because I'm teaching it, but uh, I've really fallen in love with it. And last week, we, we did chapter three, and we talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit. And again, we've been talking very, very practical stuff. And we talked about last week that if we have the Holy Spirit in us, because John talks about us remaining in God and God remaining in us, and we'll know by the Holy Spirit that's in us, well, how do we know that the Holy Spirit's in us? We talked last week, we, we have the fruit of the Spirit. This week, we'll talk a little bit about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But we talked about that if we have the Holy Spirit, there's gonna be three components that will show up. One, we will have sound doctrine, right? Good theology is what that means. That we will have a, a, a working knowledge of who Jesus is and how Jesus wants us to live, right? That we will have genuine love. We'll love God. We'll love others if we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And the last thing is we will be obedient to when we come across teachings of the Bible, when we hear teachings of Jesus in church and in small group settings, things like that, that we obey what Christ wants us to do. Even Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, right? So that should be a natural byproduct of having the Holy Spirit inside of us. So this week, we're going to build on that. And it's interesting, when you read your Bible, it often seems like chapter builds on chapter. That's because when the Bible was written, there were no chapters. It was written as one kind of constant narrative. We put chapters in there later, but that's why it all kind of goes together, right? So in chapter four, we're gonna build on what we talked about last week, and we're gonna talk about, again, three very simple things. That as Christians, we should be seeking the truth. Talk about that a little bit today. That we should be using the tools God gives us, and that we should be sharing love with other people. Straight, forward, simple stuff. Nothing overtly complex today, okay? So you should have gotten a handout when you walked in. Everything that's going to be on the screens is also in the handout. You can keep that or mark on that, whatever you want to do with it. If you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, some say the greatest app ever made, that's me. Um, <laughs> if you download that, it's free. And if you click on service times and sermon notes, the scripture, the notes, everything is in there. Very, very handy tool, okay? And if you have a Bible, Towards the back of your Bible, 1 John is towards the back, and um, we'll get into chapter four. It's short today, 
we'll get done pretty early and you can go enjoy the rest of your Sunday, okay? So glad you guys are here, all right? So I'm gonna pray, we'll dive into this and we'll see where the Lord takes us, okay? Oh, before I do, any graduates, any recent graduates? And all four service. So no one graduates high school at this, at this church. So, uh, okay, awesome, it's okay. I'll talk real slow today. So, <laughs> let me, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that, right? That was too far. It's okay. <laughs> Lord Jesus, God, we love you. <laughs> Thank you for your grace, God. Thank you, Lord, that we're a church that can laugh, Lord, and have a good time. Um, God, keep your hand on us today. Lord, I pray that everything we talk about today, that it sharpens us and, and lifts us up, God, and pray that everything we talk about today ultimately puts all the attention back on you. Lord, we pray that, that you not only bless this church, God, we pray that you bless every church in our community, that you keep your hand on the leadership, God, and help them to grow and, and be the arms and the legs of you, God, on this earth and our city. Father, we pray for every church outside of our city and our county, and pray, God, that your kingdom come here as it is in heaven, and Lord, we love you, and we thank you, God, and um, we pray again, Lord, that everything we talk about today, that it honors you. We pray all these things in your son's name, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, chapter four of 1 John, I'm going to read a little bit, and we'll break it down, okay? Here we go. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit's to see if they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You are from God, little children. And you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they say what is from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God doesn't listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. What John is essentially saying here is don't believe everything that you hear. Don't believe everything you read on Facebook. Don't believe everything you see on Fox News or CNN. Don't believe everything you read in the, in the, read in the newspaper or anything that a theologian says to you on television. Don't just take it for what they say. In John's time, he was dealing with a lot of false teachings about who Jesus Christ is. And because in John's time there was a lot of false teachers, and because now even today we have more and more false teachers rise up, John gives us an instruction that we should still take heart today. Test everyone and make sure that they're from God. Test the spirit and make sure that it's from God. Now the spirit that John is referring to is not a demonic spirit or a heavenly spirit. He's talking about the integrity of the person that is teaching your theology. So if someone is teaching you theology, right, their thoughts on God or what they say is the Bible's thoughts on God, then we're not just to take that blindly, but to check it. I wanna say to you today, and I say this a lot, don't just take what I tell you blindly. Read the word yourself. Make sure that I'm teaching you biblical truths. 
Don't take things blindly because there are deceptive, dangerous people and teachings out there. There always has been. So if we're to test the Spirit, how do we test the Spirit? There are two ways. The first way is by the Holy Spirit. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says that when we give our life to Jesus Christ, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, that God has given us a barometer to be able to know what is right and wrong. Now, with the gift of the Holy Spirit comes different gifts, individual gifts, and two of them we're going to focus on a lot today. The first one is discernment, and the second one is wisdom. And if we ask God for the gift of discernment, and if we ask God for the gift of wisdom, he gives us those gifts, and those gifts enable us to know when something is wrong. We may not know exactly what is wrong, but when we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and something evil is in close proximity to us, we should be able to feel that. Does that make sense? It's not just a feeling that something is wrong. We have the second tool, which is the Word of God. What that means is the Word of God teaches us the expectations of God. It teaches us who Jesus Christ is. It teaches us what is right and wrong. And listen, if you ever hear someone teach you something that contradicts the Word, it is not of God. God will never contradict His Word. He will never contradict His nature. When you hear all these clowns talk about these superfluous miracles that happen in their church, right? People's teeth turning to gold or gold flakes or all this bull crap, that does not align with the miracles in the Bible. There are no superfluous miracles in the Bible. Every single miracle had a purpose. I believe in miracles. God still does miracles, but miracles serve a purpose. God is not a carnival sideshow magician. He's God. So he does things that have a purpose and a meaning behind them. And if you see otherwise, you need to test it by the word. God does not act contradictory to his word, okay? Test it by the word. It is the identity of Jesus Christ, though, that is key to this whole thing. All false teaching begins with a distortion of who Jesus is. And though John says every spirit that confesses Jesus came in the flesh is of God, Hold on, that's not true. Now, wait a second. Did Corey just disagree with the Bible? No, no, no. John was talking about a specific kind of heresy. In John's day, there was a group of people called the Gnostics who were saying that Jesus was just a spirit and not the flesh. And the people that did not acknowledge that he was the flesh had the spirit of the Antichrist. That's what John was talking about. We have to balance the Bible with the Bible. Jesus says in the Gospels that there will be people that say, Lord, Lord, but they are not saved. So just because someone says Jesus came in the flesh does not mean that they are saved. John was talking about a specific heresy at his time. Guys, this is why context is important. It's why you have to get into the Bible, get a little deep with it sometimes. John also talks about these false prophets. False prophets speak to what people already want to hear. This is how they amass their crowds, right? Paul talked about this with Timothy. He said, Timothy, beware of these prophets who tickle people's ears. They only say what people already want to hear. Don't we have this a lot today? Okay, guys, I'm gonna try not to be a jerk, but I might cross the jerk line here for a second. So there's a reason why 50,000 people a weekend go listen to Joel Osteen teach. Because Joel Osteen's never going to hurt your feelings. He's going to smile. Hold, hold on. Before we bash on him, I would rather 50,000 people be there than nowhere at all, quite frankly. 
But here's the thing. The reason why so many people are drawn to teaching like that is because it's easy. There's a big smile and he says, you're gonna be great, it's great, we're all great, just smile, it's great, right? Your best life now. Here's what we do though as people, we're like water. We go down the path of the least resistance. We don't like conviction. We don't like the talk of change. We don't like the talk of the fact that we have sinned and we have fallen short. That's why we flock to theology that is easy and that it's easy for us to digest. The problem with that is the true gospel is not easy. There are hard parts of the true gospel. The true gospel convicts us. No one likes that feeling, but it's a good feeling. It's a, not, a, not a good feeling, but it's a, it, it produces good in us. What I mean is this, no one likes the pain of touching a hot stove, but it is that pain that teaches us not to keep touching the hot stove. Conviction is the same way when it comes to sin. We don't like that feeling of conviction, but conviction protects us. The true Bible teaches us. It calls us to live righteously. The true gospel illuminates our sin. It addresses that we are broken, we are messed up, and we need God's help. But here's the thing about that painful conviction, that painful illumination of sin, that when we let the gospel do that, that does lead us to our best life. That does encourage us. That does show us our sense of self-worth because we realize we're not good, but God is good, and he loves us regardless. We make better choices. We live a more content, fulfilled life when we take the, the hard parts of the Bible and the easy parts of the Bible when we take it in its entirety. We must also want to grow. The Holy Spirit in us will help us discern what is good and it'll help us discern what is evil. But we have to intentionally grow closer to God, which means the Holy Spirit inside of us ministers to us. I know that sounds like a weird thing to say. What that means is this, when we have a prayer life, when we meditate, I don't mean that in any kind of weird Eastern philosophy, I mean when we shut up for a second and get quiet, when we take the time to think about God and the goodness of God, when we take time to meditate, when we read the word of God, we, we create a sensitivity in us. We start to learn how to listen to him. We build a deeper relationship with him. The Holy Spirit starts to change us, but we have to work at fostering that change. So we're gonna talk about these two gifts a lot today. There's nothing to be afraid of with the Holy Spirit. When you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, the only gift that I can think of that the Bible tells us that if we ask it, we will always receive it is wisdom. Every single one of you in this room that calls yourself a Christian, you need to be praying for God's wisdom every single day. God, give me wisdom. God, give me wisdom. And the book of James says, not only will he give it to you, he will give you a lot of it. We need wisdom. We also need to pray for the gift of discernment. I'm blown away with how many Christians don't have discernment. We need the ability to spot evil and the wisdom to stay away from that evil. The gift of discernment makes us sensitive, not only to the things of God, but the things that are not of God, that we need to stay away from. We need wisdom and we need discernment, okay? All right, moving on. John says, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, 
because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. So if you've been with me for the last month, we've talked a lot about love because John brings up loving each other a lot. Now, here's the thing about being a Christian. If we're going to evolve to look more like God, we have to love people. And we have to love people in the way that God wants us to love people. And if we're to do that, we first have to have a relationship with him. Now, I know maybe you've thought this before. I've thought it. I know people who are not Christians and they seem to love people, right? I think all of you can probably say that. Well, here's the thing with that. All of us are capable of a degree of love because all of us are made in the image of God. Therefore, we have some characteristics of God. So all of us, regardless if we acknowledge God or not, can love to an extent. But we cannot love to the full extent that God wants us to love because the fullest extent of love always encompasses the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must share who Jesus is with others. And if we don't do that, we're not loving people to their fullest. We're not loving them in a complete love. Now, look what John does here. I told you, man, like the Bible sometimes kind of stings a little bit. And John flips the script on us. He says, in order to love others, you must know God. So it makes sense that if you don't love others, you don't know God. And he kind of flips that on us. And so the very nature, the very essence of God is love. So what John is saying is this. How can we say that we've experienced the love of God and that not pour out of us? In practical terms, if you're a gossip at your work or you're constantly tearing people down or you never have anything positive to say about anyone, how can you say that you've experienced the love of God? When we experience the love of God, it pours out of us. That doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we can't be jerks sometimes too. Case in point, right? But it means that we have a genuine regard for other people and their feelings, that we care for them. Now, how do we know what love even is? John says the cross is the perfect example of love. It's the most vivid, graphic depiction of the, the furthest extent that love can possibly be. That if Jesus was willing to come down while we were dirty, filthy sinners, die on a rugged cross for us, we should be able to sacrifice for those around us. Now, I don't know if this yellow part resonates with anyone in here except for me. I do not naturally love. It has to be a supernatural thing inside me that causes me to love people. I don't naturally love all of you all the time. I know it sounds awful, doesn't it? But it is because the Holy Spirit in me that I love you. It is because the Holy Spirit in you that you can love other people. Guys, I remember in 2003, I was sitting in a prayer room at the church I got saved in. When I say sitting, I was laying face down on the floor. 
and I was crying. I, I literally said this. I said, God, I love you. I hate everyone else. And that's not okay. I literally said that to God. And I said, God, I know that it's your desire for me to love others. And God put a love in me. There are some of us in this room, it's not natural for us to love. And we have to ask God to change our hearts. Be ready for that, because he will. And you will see people differently, but it's a supernatural thing that takes place in us. This supernatural thing happens because Jesus was the atoning sacrifice. What in the heck does that mean? We don't use the word atonement a lot. Maybe you do. I don't use that a lot in my day-to-day vernacular. But what atonement literally means is it means someone paying off a debt for someone else. So if uh, uh, you know, a friend of mine in this room did something awful, I paid off their debt and they were set free. In the Christian context, the atoning sacrifice means that Jesus came and paid for all of our debt, that all of us can be free from sin's claims, we can be free from guilt and shame. That's called expiation, right? That he paid for all those things. Not only did Jesus pay for all of our mistakes, though, because our mistakes are paid for, and if we give our life to Christ and we're forgiven, we don't have to suffer punishment from God. We escape God's wrath. That's called propitiation. So not only are we forgiven, we escape the wrath of God. What that means is is we are free. The cross enables us not to just be free ourselves, but the cross frees us so we can be a conduit in other people's freedom. When we've experienced freedom, we want other people to be free as well. And so we experience that liberation And then we say, man, I want my family to be liberated. I want my neighbor to be liberated. I want my coworkers to be liberated. I want my parents to be liberated. I want people around me to experience what I've experienced. And the only way we can do that is through the Holy Spirit. And the only way that we receive the Holy Spirit was the cross. This is kind of like the gospel, right, at its core. That Jesus Christ came, he died on the cross, He rose again, he physically departed the earth, but when he physically departed the earth, he sent his Holy Spirit. So now Jesus wasn't just in one place at one time. The Spirit of Jesus can be in all of us simultaneously all over the earth. And because the Holy Spirit lives in the Christian, we can be the kind of person that we could never be without the Holy Spirit. There are some of you in this room that you know it's only by the grace of God you can be the dad that you are or the mom that you are or the boss or employee or whatever your lot in life is. It is only by God's spirit that we can achieve what we have achieved. God wants us to take a step up, but the only way to take a step up is God must be inside of us, okay? All right. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear 
because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom they can see cannot love a God whom they cannot see. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. So here was the problem that John was dealing with, right? John was dealing, I said it earlier, with a heresy from a group of people called the Gnostics that said that Jesus was just a spirit, never a man. So because of these false claims, John reminds the reader that John saw Jesus in the flesh, touched his flesh, right? Touched his arm, walked with him, probably hugged him a gazillion times. He knew that Jesus came in the flesh. Now, just because John knew Jesus personally does not mean that the disciples fully understood who Jesus was until after the cross. The reason why they all split, except for John, was because they didn't fully understand that who Jesus was. But after the cross, we saw a transformation in all those men. The crucifixion revealed exactly who Jesus was. And we often say this, though. We often hear people say, or maybe we've said, if I could just see God, I would believe in God. That's not true. History has told us that's not true. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel, right? They came out of Egypt. Moses was leading them to the promised land. They saw God as a pillar of fire at night. They saw the cloud of smoke on Mount Sinai with Moses. They saw manna fall from heaven. They saw water come out of a rock. They saw all these miraculous things. And what did they do? The first opportunity they had alone, they made a golden calf and they worshiped that instead. They saw God, and that first generation didn't even make it to the promised land because they didn't really believe. Not only that, when you get into the New Testament, Jesus Christ came to earth, did miracles in front of the very people that had him hung on the cross. They saw the power of God and still didn't believe. The problem is not seeing. The problem is wanting to see. We often say that seeing is believing. That's not the case when it comes to faith. It is believing enables us to see. We get it backwards. The thing is this, the Spirit of God has called all of you, whether you believe right now or don't. The Spirit of God has beckoned us all, but it is only those of us that have the desire to know the truth. It is only those of us who have a desire to see God that actually witness the things of God. In other words, it takes faith. If Jesus was walking around earth right now, everyone would believe in Jesus. It wouldn't be faith at that point. But we have to have faith in something that we don't see. It takes faith, right? And so, though we have never seen God, no one in this room has seen God face to face, when we want to know the truth, we can witness the work of God. We don't have to see the earthly Jesus to know that he's real. God's love and God's power and miraculous things have been exercised through a lot of you in this room. I've seen miraculous things happen to a lot of you in this room. Not only have miraculous things happened through our lives and around, with people around us, when you walk outside today and you feel the heat of the sun, and when you understand the orbit and the sensitivity of how the entire universe works, that is miraculous, but you have to want to see that. Romans chapter one, right? 
whenever people are like, show us proof of God, Paul's like, look around. Look at the order of the universe around you. The issue is not that God isn't evident. The issue is we are so distracted or unwilling to see it. That's why Jesus said this. If you look, you'll find. Matthew chapter seven, right? If you seek, you will find. The problem is so many of, so many of us are so flippant distracted and so selfish that we're not looking for the things of God. I've never seen a miracle. There's miracles all around you. Things happening all the time. But when you're constantly looking at Instagram, it's hard to see the things of God. Let's move on there. Sorry. So back to loving others, right? John goes back. It's ironic how I write these lessons. I like yell and scream, and I'm like, oh yeah, back to loving others, guys, right? So John affirms what he's been saying over and over and over again in different ways. God is love, and if we love, we know that we remain in God and that God remains in us. Why? Because at the very core of God is love. It is his nature, it is his character, and here's the thing, when we experience that love, when we are filled up of God's love, it has to pour out of us. If, it's, if God's love is not pouring out of us, there's a disconnect between us and God. Because when God gives us his love, it should be a natural byproduct that it flows out from us. John also says something that we have a tendency to twist around, that there is no fear in love. What that means is this. We can be confident that when Jesus comes back or we die, right, Whatever, whichever one happens first, we don't have to have a fear of our eternity because we have a relationship with God. Perfect love drives out the fear of the future. See, John says that fear involves punishment. We're only afraid of something if we, if we think something bad is going to happen to us. But when we have a life with Christ, when we give our lives to Christ, we're forgiven of our sins, therefore we're not going to experience God's punishment. We're not going to experience God's wrath. So his love drives out the fear of the future. It drives out the fear of eternity. We're forgiven. We're made whole. Now, what that scripture doesn't mean is that there aren't going to be times where we're scared. About five or six years ago, I was, I was teaching and I, and I used this scripture and I told the church that I had this ridiculous, irrational fear of snakes. I don't think snake jokes are funny. I don't like them on my Facebook. I don't like them coiled up near my car. I don't like any of those. All those things have happened, right? I'm not a fan of those things. I don't like snakes. And one time I said that in front of the church and a man came up to me and he said, Corey, I'm really worried about your relationship with the Lord. You have this fear and the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. And I'm like, I don't think John was talking about snakes, right? <laughs> and so we take things way out of context what that means is when we have a fear of the future, when we have a lack of hope, when we have a fear for our children's future or the future of our nation or the future of society or whatever the case may be, that the Holy Spirit inside of us overcomes that fear because God has promised the Christian security and peace. We also have the Holy Spirit inside of us that counsels us and comforts us. Now listen, I'm gonna say something and every time I say it, I get pushed back or a hateful email or someone telling me how closed-minded I am or that I don't appreciate mental health or mental illness or any of these things. I do not believe, and you can argue with me all day long and you will not change my mind. I do not believe it is God's design for the Christian to be paralyzed by anxiety or fear. I just don't. I don't think it's God's design for you. I believe there are different methods that we can deal with anxiety and fear 
We can do counseling, we can pray. I don't think we talk about deliverance enough in church, right? I think God can deliver us of those things. Now, if you disagree with me, you have every right in the world to do so. But my philosophy and my theology is this. If you hang out with the Prince of Peace, a byproduct of that is peace. I'll move on again, right? Busting on Instagram, busting on anxiety, we'll move on. Again, the love of God should transfer from us to other people. John passes on the command of Christ. The one who loves God must also love people. I don't always like that passage, right? God, I love you. You gotta love people too. Ah, all right. So we must remember that true love is all-encompassing. What does that mean? Well, Jesus told us that we are to help people with their physical needs. We're to help the poor. We're to help the naked. We're to visit the prisoner while they're in jail. Jesus says that in the gospel. We need to do that. We're to help the physical needs of our society. Well, I believe we are also to help the mental needs of our society. I do believe in mental illness and mental health. I go to a counselor myself, saw him last Thursday. We have two full-time counselors here on staff because we believe that mental illness is a real thing. We also know that we are to help people spiritually. What that means is this. If we feed every person on planet Earth, if we clothe every person, if we give every person all kinds of counseling or medication or whatever the case may be, and if we do not tell them about Jesus, we are not loving to the fullest. We are not loving them to the extent that God wants us to love them because the only thing that sets people free is the gospel. That's what sets them free. So let me go backwards. If we are to know the truth, if we're to have a relationship with God, we must want to know the truth. In order to fully know God, we must approach this journey. Let's call it spirituality for the sake of a better word, right? For the, for the lack of a better word. As we approach spirituality, we must approach spirituality with the desire to know the truth regardless of what the truth is going to tell you. Now, after me saying that, I'll let the cat out of the bag. If you get into this book, if you break this book open, if you really want to know the truth, and if you explore this book with an open mind, you will come across things that you're not gonna like. You're gonna come across things that are counterculture. You're gonna come across things that are uncomfortable. You're gonna come across things that you do in your personal life that this book is gonna say that's not okay. If you wanna read an offensive scripture, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, very offensive. It'll hurt your feelings. And when you get into the book, though, we know that the Bible doesn't hurt our feelings just for the sake of hurting our feelings. God knows that some of us need to be broke down in order to be built up. God knows that our junk needs to be called out, that the dark corners of our lives need to be illuminated by the light. They need to be brought up so they can be forgiven and removed. But here's the thing about the truth. The truth doesn't change regardless of who gets elected in office. The truth doesn't change regardless of what's popular on television or in music. The truth is immovable. So when we approach the truth, we must approach the truth knowing that if anything's gonna change, it's gonna have to be me. The truth does not move because Corey Trimble wants it to. The truth doesn't move because you don't like it. If we're going to approach the truth, we must approach it for everything it is, okay? The second thing is this, is if you are a Christian in this room, God has given you the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit comes the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I get a kick out of how many Christians are uncomfortable talking about the Holy Spirit. 
one-third of God's makeup, and Christians are terrified about it. They'll go watch Paranormal Activity Part 14, but when it comes to the conversation of speaking in tongues, everyone's like, that makes me uncomfortable. The levitating demonic girl, I'm fine with that, but talking about tongues, that's off limits, right? Even though it's in the Bible, guys. So the problem is, is we don't wanna get into the deep waters because it's uncomfortable. Here's the thing, though, about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're not to be afraid of them, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, brothers and sisters, don't be afraid, just don't be ignorant. When we're knowledgeable about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing to be afraid of. We're to pray for the Holy Spirit to work through us however God wants to work through us. But again, I believe because the book of James says that we need to ask for the gift of wisdom. Guys, the world we live in is bat crap crazy. That's the Christian way of saying a very unchristian phrase. It is crazy out there. And if we're going to navigate this life, we need the wisdom of God. Not only do we need the wisdom of God, we need discernment. We need that gut feeling that tells us we shouldn't be here. This is not okay, right? We need wisdom and we need discernment. Now, let me tell you something. I'm gonna get a little charismatic on you guys for a second. I believe all of you should pray where you can hear your words, not just think it. I think we should all find a place to get alone and speak, pray, talk to God. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you start going down the path of praying for the Holy Spirit to fill you up and work through you, you may be praying for the gift of wisdom one day, and you might start speaking in a language that you don't understand. Nothing to be afraid of there. It's biblical. You can read it. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. You may be praying and God may say, tomorrow at work, I want you to tell so-and-so this. He may give you the gift of prophecy. You may be praying in church and God may say, go over to so-and-so and lay your hands on them and pray for them to be healed because God still heals people and he may use you in the gift of healing. No reason to be afraid of the power of God. No reason to be afraid of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We just don't abuse them and we make sure we use them in a biblical manner. But you need to pray for wisdom you need to pray for discernment. God has gifts that he gives us to lift each other up and to build our relationship with him, okay? Cool, all right, no one's thoroughly freaked out, we're good. Last part of this, maybe you are thoroughly freaked out and you're just not saying anything. The last thing is this, we must share what God has given us. We can feed the world, we can clothe the world, we can educate the world, we can hug the world, we can hang out with the world. We can do all these things. But if we do not share the message of Jesus Christ, people will not be free. Until Jesus Christ forgives us of our sin, we live in bondage to those sins. It is the truth that sets people free. If you can share one thing with people, share with them the fact that Jesus Christ loved them so much that he came and died and rose again from the grave, that he loves us. Share the gospel. That is what changes marriages. That's what changes job situations. That's what changes family dynamics. It's what saves our soul. It's what brings us peace and contentment and joy and fulfillment it is the message of Christ that sets people free. And here's the thing about that message. You will share that message and some people will downright reject it because they're rejecting Jesus in you. There are people that will hurt you. 
There are people that will lie to you. They will stab you in the back. They will take advantage of you. There are some dark corners of our society, of our culture. But as dark as it is, the Holy Spirit comforts us. It encourages us. And though we may get stabbed in the back a million times, we are to continually carry this light into the darkness. I remember the first time I really got like rejected for who I was. I, I, I was up in Providence, Rhode Island. It was the first time I had gone up to, to, to New England to, to talk to these different churches about getting involved with them. I was in Providence, Rhode Island, about two blocks away from Brown University, Ivy League school, one of the best universities in the country. Very, very liberal town. And I couldn't go to sleep one night, and so I go down in the hotel that I'm in, and they have a bar in the hotel, and they serve food, 24 hours. And so I go down, there's nowhere to sit, so I'm a pastor. I just went and sat at the bar, right, and ordered a big old bratwurst and a water, you know? Anyways, so I'm sitting there at the bar, and I'm eating this bratwurst, and there's this guy next to me, real good-looking guy in a suit, very fancy-looking, and he's having a drink, and we get to talking, because I talk to people all the time, and we get to talking, I'm asking him what he does. He's a lawyer in Providence, and he's been there for a long time, and does all this stuff, and offices a couple blocks up the road, and we get to talking, and probably about 25, 30 minutes of talking with this guy. And finally, he looks at me, and uh, he goes, what do you do for a living? <laughs> it always comes up, right? What do you do? I'm a pastor for a church down kind of south of Nashville, and I'm here to help other churches kind of get going. And he goes, uh, and he turns around, just puts his back to me. <laughs> Nothing after that. That was it. That was the end of the conversation. Turns around, just looked the other way and didn't even acknowledge me for the rest of the night. Sat there and ate my bratwurst and all my loneliness up there at the bar. <laughs> it was a pretty pathetic sight. But I remember the first time it hit me, not everyone's going to accept this well. Not everyone's going to take this. People will call you bigoted and small-minded. They'll call you ignorant. They'll call you all kinds of names, that you're hateful, all these things. There are some people that will reject this in you. But here's the trick. This is where the Holy Spirit really kicks in. Even if they persecute us and hate us, Jesus himself said we still pray for them. We still love them, which means we still extend the gospel. We still extend love. We still go out of our way to be kind to people, even the worst people, even the people that treat us terribly, that we still have a regard for them. We still pray for them. You're gonna get hurt. I guarantee it. You will have your feelings hurt. You may be physically hurt, but we don't hold the light to ourselves because Jesus Christ looked at us and he said, you're the light of the world. You're the salt. And he says, don't hide the light. Put the light up on a hill and let it illuminate the entire city. That's what we're called to do. Even if it hurts, even if we're not popular, Jesus said, take the light out. Take the light out. You know, I didn't say this at any other lessons today, any of the other uh, services that we did. We often talk about following Christ, and when Jesus Christ said to pick up your cross, he literally meant that. He literally meant that some of us may be killed for our faith. And we read about that, and we think taking up our cross as well, that guy in the cubicle next to me doesn't like me. That's not a cross. Whenever the disciples went out, do you know all of the disciples, bar one of them, was violently murdered. Bartholomew hacked to death with knives. Paul, who was not one of the original 12, but he was beheaded, right? Peter hung on a cross upside down. That there's a cost for this. 
That's why the Holy Spirit is so important, guys. Because when we go out, as the Bible says, like sheep among wolves, the only way we can navigate this life is by supernatural power that lives in us. That's why you must talk to God. That's why you must depend on him. That's why you must say, God, I need your spirit. Fill me up. There's no way for me to pour out to my children, my spouse, my coworkers. There's no way I can do this without you walking with me. This is why you must pray. This is why you must get alone with God. This is why you must pick up this book. That's why you must read it. It is imperative to your spiritual survival and for the spiritual survival of the people that you love the most. And every week I get up here and I scream and I yell and I shout. And I'm not asking you to be perfect. The Bible is not asking you to be perfect. But we must have a relationship with him. We must talk to him. Read the word. Simple, simple things. And if you do, God will transform you and he will use you. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, Lord, I want to pray for three things, God, for everyone in this room today. The first thing I want to pray for, God, is that you give us the gift of of, of wisdom, Lord. Lord, James says that if we pray for that, you will give it to us in abundance. So, Father, I pray that all of us make wisdom a part of our prayer life. I pray, God, second thing, that you give us discernment, that we can discern what is good and what is evil. Last thing I pray for, God, is that you give us love. Lord, if we've experienced your love, let us look at people differently. Lord, let us love people, regardless of their political affiliation, regardless of their sexual preference, regardless, God, of their religion, regardless, God, of the mistakes they've made. Lord, let us look at people, God, as people made in your image that are worth reaching out to. As your heads are still bowed and your eyes are still closed, if you are not a Christian in here, and you are curious about anything you've heard today, Greg is up here to my right, your left, at the front of the stage. If you have any questions, you're not gonna offend him, please come up here and, and, and just talk to Greg for a minute. We're not gonna make you do anything. We're not gonna, he may wanna get a cup of coffee with you or something, but just come up here and talk to him. There's also men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, it can be something small or it can be something huge, please come up here and get prayer. The last thing is there's communion all the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table. Everyone is welcome to take the communion, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, as long as you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Please take that today. As your heads are still bowed and your eyes are closed, I think we forget to love people because sometimes we forget how much God loves us. The communion represents the fact that God gave his only son that while we were still sinners, he died on a cross for us. You can remember that. Father, Lord, pray that you bless my friends in this room, God. Keep us safe until we meet again. We love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.